further ado, we are in the Word of God this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. So why don't you guys open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, for those of you guys that have not been here, we are in the middle of, or towards the end of, our series on the armor of God. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we just happened to you know, jump to Ephesians 6, and uh, it talks about the armor of God, something that most of us are probably fairly familiar with, but we've been dissecting it. Um, we've been going through, knowing what, you know, figuring out what spiritual warfare is, who our enemy is, uh, what fight we're, we are engaged in, and we've been taking each week looking at each piece of the armor. Um, and it's been radical and fruitful and sweet to encounter Christ on Sunday mornings as we study his word. But today we are kind of finishing out the actual armor part um, with the sword of the spirit. And uh, why don't we just read Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, and then we will go ahead and jump right in. But let's just for some context sake, let's read it and see where God has us this morning. So Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Thank you that we have it and it's readily accessible to read. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us now and you desire to speak to us today. Father God, I pray that I would be your mouthpiece for your glory, that you would equip us for battle, that we would know how to fight, that we would understand what you're saying in your word now. But if anything, Lord, would we have a greater view of your word and the necessity to know it? Holy Spirit, would you do such a radical work in our hearts? And God, I pray that you would, in this moment, in this room now, that you would thwart the schemes of the enemy that are lying to us, that are accusing us, that are... That are that are condemning us this morning, we say no to those things in Jesus' name. We ask that you would have your way, Father, and we ask that you would war on our behalf. God, train our hands for battle. Help us to greater, help us to have a greater understanding of, of the spiritual warfare that, 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 that we're going to encounter, that we are encountering. In Christ, I pray that we'd have a greater view of who you are greater view of what you did on the cross and what that means for us as believers. Pray that we would hold on, we would walk in those truths. So speak to us through your word. 
Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The beauty about our passage today, the end of verse 17, is that the word of God gives some direction or it actually gives some definition to what the sword of the spirit is. It says clearly right there that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so, just on a basic elementary level, what, what is the word of God? For those of us that might not know or just to condense it a little bit, well, the word of God is the closed canon of scripture that we have right here. It's the 66 books split into the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the word of God. And what's so neat about it is that the word of God actually speaks about itself. It defines it for us and what it does and what the purpose of it is several times. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says this, all scripture is inspired by God, or it's God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4, verse 12 would tell us that the word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Again, using that analogy. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Corinthians verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 10 verses three through five speaks concerning the word of God. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Those are three sections of Scripture that describe it, and there's a, a ton more. But, but here's what we can gather just from those sections, just from those verses. That the word of God, or the sword of the spirit, scripture, is powerful. It's a weapon, literally a sword. It's to be used for battle, the destruction of strong fortresses, against the opposing powers of darkness in the spiritual realm, and it's for us to use. We, we can gather those things just, just briefly from those verses, those truths about the word of God, that it's powerful, it's a weapon, it's to be used in battle against the powers of darkness, and it's for us to use. It's crucial that we get that part. It's for us to use. And so what scripture is, what the word of God is, is it's the God-breathed word. And it contains all the truths of God's character, God's plans and his purposes for our lives. It's radical. It's absolutely magnificent and wonderful and, and really unbelievable that we have it all right here. We have it all right here, all of God's words from him for us right here. And so knowing those things, 
knowing that the word of God is a weapon and it's powerful and it's for us and it contains all of God's character and his promises and his truth for our lives. The question I was asking myself and that I was asking us is, well, then why? Why on earth do we lack attention? Why do we lack study? Why do we, we, we not elevate it as, as much in our lives as we should then? Especially in the context of spiritual warfare. If it's a weapon to, that, we, that we stand firm upon against the schemes of the enemy that God has given us for the destruction of fortresses, why? Why then do we not give more precedence to it? And I, and I quickly realized, I think that for myself, and this may be true for most of us, is that we either don't know or we don't believe that we're actually in a battle right now, currently. See, I, I th- I'm guessing or, I, you know, I, I think, I believe, I believe that a lot of us, including myself, think we're at peace. We're in peacetime. In the spiritual realm. I'm good. God saved me. God's got the victory. And so where's the battle? What's happening? I mean, I just, I'm coming to church. I don't feel like I'm in on the battlefield right now. I go to work. You know, there's some hard things that go on. Or, you know, I, I guess I experience what you're saying. But church, I think a huge error, a huge error or trap that even the enemy can use is that We think we're in peacetime and we're actually at war. We're at war. Here's the good news though. God already has the victory. The war has been won, but we're still in battle. Right? We, 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 We fight against a defeated foe. We share in the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. We stand in a victorious place and the war is won, so to speak, but we're still battling. And the enemy... The devil is going to try and mess with us any chance he can get. He'll do whatever he can to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10. 10. Any chance, any time, any bit of ground he's going to take and he's going to try as hard as he can to mess with you. Church, brothers and sisters, we need to believe and know that we're in a fight with an enemy that shows no mercy. There's no grace, there's no rules, he doesn't play fair, there's no Geneva Convention. There's nothing like that. He won't give up, he doesn't get tired, he's ruthless, he's evil, and his plans for you are opposite that of God. They're not to for good and they're not to prosper. They're actually the opposite. To make your life a living hell. Church, we need to know that the devil hates us. The devil hates our marriages, hates our family. The devil hates this church and more importantly, the, the devil hates God. It is as real as it gets. It is as far as peacetime as it gets. Yes, do we have rest and peace from the Father as believers? Absolutely. 
Yes, do we already have the victory? Yes, but if you are a believer, in order to live for Christ, in order to stand firm, in order to combat the lies of the enemy and not, in order to do those things, we need not only to put on the armor, but we also need to fight back by standing firm on the truths that God has for us. And that is in the word of God. That is in the word of God. And the way in which Ephesians 6 verse 17 tells us to do this is he says, it says to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so the question that we need to ask is, how do we do that? How do we use it in battle? How do we do that? Okay, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm on that same page now, but how do we, how do we use that in battle? And, and we might even, you know, we might even be unclear of, of the battle still. We might even be unclear of our adversary. This is, you know, it can be confusing and hard to understand, but most importantly, we need to know our weapons well. We need to know what God has done for us and who we are in Christ really, really well. <clears throat> I was never a soldier. I was never in battle. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I love war history. I love war movies. I love um, the strategy element of how battles were won and you know, anything World War II, I just eat it up. I just eat it up. And even though I obviously have never gone and trained in this, I've never been to West Point, I don't know the strategies of war, you can gather some things from any battle. I hope they're true. I think they are. Couple things. <clears throat> How to be victorious in any war and any battle, there's three things that you need to know really well. Number one is you need to know your enemy, who you're fighting, their tactics, what they have all about them. You need to know your enemy. You need to know your battlefield. Where is it that we're fighting? Changes a lot of things, and wars have been lost and won by just the matter of where it's fought. And thirdly, which is the most important that our military spends a lot of time on is to know our resources and know our tactics well. And the most important thing that we could do is be trained and organized in how to fight. You need to know your stuff, your own stuff and your own capabilities really well. So for us as believers, those three elements are, are completely the same. We need to know the enemy. We need to know where he's fighting us. Most importantly for us, we need to know the armor of God in our weapons, in our sword. We need to know the word of God. We need to know it really, really, really well. And so it's a slight recap, but to remind us, to remind us right now of the enemy's tactics, I'm gonna highlight four ways that he'll come at us. Four potent and powerful ways that Satan will come at us. And they're lies, accusations, doubt, and condemnation. There's more. There's more. But those are the big ones. He'll lie to us. 
He'll accuse us. He'll bring doubt to our faith. And he'll want us to live in condemnation. And so Satan's goal, his overarching goal in all of this is to blind, mar, and distort who Christ is and his finished work on the cross and what that means for us. That's his goal in all of those tactics is to try to mar, blind, and distort who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. And in order for us as believers to refute, rebuke, and combat his tactics, we must know for ourselves what God's word says about God and what it means for us. We have to. John 8, speaking of Satan, says this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the description of Satan. But brothers and sisters, if we don't know what the truth is first, how would we ever discern what's a lie or not? That, that's common sense. When someone tells you a lie, how on earth would you ever know it's a lie? Unless you know the truth. I was told that this is how the treasury department, they're, they're, how they're trained to, with, with counterfeit money. I was told that how they train agents and people that work at the treasury to detect counterfeit money is that they only study real bills over and over. They never actually study counterfeit bills. They only study what is a real Dollar bill. And they do this because they know the truth. They know what's the real one so well. And they can spot a fake a mile away. Doesn't look like that. Doesn't feel like that. I know the sizing. I know everything about that. Because I studied the truth so well, I know error a mile away. Same is true for us and the word of God and the truth of scripture. We must know it inside and out so that we do not believe the lies of the enemy. We've got to know the truth. We have to know the truth. We have to know the truth. So that when the enemy lies to us, we can smell it a mile away. That's not God's truth. That is not true for him or for me. And I reject that truth. Excuse me, I reject the lie. I stand on the truth to reject the lie. <laughs> the enemy will also make false accusations about us. In Revelation 12, 10, it calls him the accuser of the brethren. That he accuses us day and night. Accusations can be anything from slander to ill intent. The enemy loves to bring up things from the past and tells you false things about yourself. He loves to do that. How do we know what's a false accusation or a real statement about us? How do we really know? How do we really know what is a false statement or a false accusation? The only way is by knowing the word of God. It's the only way. <laughs> the enemy has a field day with doubt. The devil's desire is to undermine our faith. 
to make us disbelieve the existence of God, to disbelieve what Christ has done for us and what he's doing and where we stand with Christ. He loves to spit doubt at us. But how are we sure of God's existence and what we believe in? Someone told us, not good enough. How do we know who God is and, and, and what we believe in and what we should believe? How do, we, how do we increase our faith, so to speak? How do we have faith in the first place? Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and by hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Best thing you can do is when you're doubting is to read more and more and more of the word of God. That's where you gain faith. That's where you gain truth is the word of God. A very powerful tool of the enemy that if believed in and acted upon will keep you in this place for years, if not your whole life, is the area of condemnation. See, the devil will try at all means to try and disqualify you. He'll try to give reasons why you are disqualified to participate in any sort of ministry, any sort of act of service. He'll try to condemn you with what you've done to try to disqualify you in all areas of evangelism and of faith and anything that pertains to God. The devil loves to bring up the past, even your past sin specifically, and he wants to fill you with shame, fear, and condemnation. And if you do not know Romans 8, 1, you may believe that you need to walk in shame and that you should be ashamed and that everything you do is wrecked now. And Romans 8.1 says, there is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We don't need to. It is a lie from the pit of hell that we are to walk in condemnation the opposite would be true, that God's loving kindness leads us to repentance, that he forgives us from all the things that we've done and messed up, and, and we can walk now free of condemnation and shame because he took that on the cross. Amen? Amen. Those are some of the enemy tactics and their, power, tactics and their powerful, and you need to know them as a believer. But then there's the battlefield. Where does the enemy fight this battle? Unfortunately, he fights the battle with our mind, our emotions, and our heart. The most intangible, complicated things in the world. Our thought life, our mind, our uh, thought life, our heart, our emotions, all the intangible, unclear, not obvious, confusing things naturally, the enemy goes after those. That's where he lies. That's where he accuses, that's where he doubts, and that's where he condemns. And that's why it becomes increasingly hard because it's not as upfront and obvious as we'd like it to be. It's clouded, it's unclear, it's confusing. He uses half-truths. 
and then our thought life, and it spins out of control, and then our emotions get involved, and then it gets real messy, and so on and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the only examples I can see, again, is, is, is war. You know, war has drastically changed over the years. The wars that we're fighting now in Iraq and Afghanistan are greatly different, uh, at least when it comes to the enemy's tactics and the battlefield. And, and so in, on our, you know, we've had to change our tactics too, but this is what I mean. <clears throat> World War II was a pretty, you know, geographic war, and there was clear nations who were involved, and soldiers wear, wore uniforms, and not to say that at any means it was easy, because that's absolutely not the truth, and you understand my point, but the enemy, it was pretty obvious who the enemy was. The battlefield, most of the times, was pretty clear. Um, not always. But it was pretty obvious who we're fighting and why we're doing this. Reason why I know this, uh, you know, firsthand is uh, my wife's grandpa was an 18-year-old Marine when he landed on the beaches of Iwo Jima. He was a medic, and uh, it was very clear who the enemy was on that island, that little piece of speck in the Pacific. Um, it was obvious and clear what the objectives of both parties were to take the island, to keep the island. But then I have buddies, you know, um, uh, Nate Brock, one of our uh, guys that goes here, he he's a, was a Marine scout sniper, and he... Uh, had a tour in Iraq, and it's a very different battlefield there. You're in cities, you're in houses, you're in towns. There's not a, a clear line where that's the enemy and here I am. It's very difficult. It's very confusing. It's very unclear who we're fighting, where they are. War has drastically changed. The enemy's changed, the battlefield's changed, and likewise, our tactics have changed. But my point is, is that the enemy fights dirty and it's confusing and it's unclear. And man, when our battlefields, our mind and our emotion and our hearts, it gets messy. Because this is what happens. The enemy lies to you and you allow that lie to fester. And then all of a sudden you spiral out of control. And then you add to the lies and you are making accusations. And then all of a sudden our emotions get involved like I said before, it's all over then. <laughs> My point of all this so far is to make the case that it's overwhelmingly apparent that there is a dire need for us to know the word of God. There's a dire need, knowing the enemy and knowing the battlefield, that there is a dire need for us to know the word of God. Just to reiterate, we have a fierce, merciless enemy that attacks without warning in confusing ways, all with the intent to mar the person of Christ. But praise be to God that we have weapons of warfare that are powerful for the destruction of strong fortresses. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6, it says that we have the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's scripture, it's God-breathed, God-inspired truth, and we have it as a weapon to combat the lies, accusations, doubt, and condemnation of the enemy, amen? And so it is only right that we 
dedicate our lives to the reading, studying, and memorization of God's word. It is only right that we know in and out, inside and out, what our weapons of our warfare are. And, and it's not good enough. Sorry, but it's not good enough to just generally know what the word of God says. And if you had to, you might be able to find it. That might be okay you think in certain situations, knowing now what I hope you got, it's not okay, it's not enough. <laughs> we need to learn it and know it by memory. We need to know the word of God, know what we believe in, know who God is, know what that means for our identity in Christ. We need to know those things and not go to someone else and ask them. We need to be Bereans, we need to study it for ourselves, we need to know what it what we believe, and we need to know it by heart. Great example is Matthew 4, when Jesus is led out to the wilderness and Satan tempts him. And he tempts him with half-truths. He is distorting scripture. The enemy's distorting scripture. He's, he's speaking uh, it out of context, and he's trying to tempt Jesus to believe these lies. And Jesus, three times, refutes and rebukes the devil because he knows the truth by memory. He knows it. He doesn't have, you know, that Old Testament out there. He doesn't have it in the wilderness with him. He knows what the word of God says. And one of the most potent verses that he says is that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But man lives on every word of God. <clears throat> Praise be to God that he saved me when he did. I was saved at the age of 13 when I just was a little seventh grade junior higher. Pretty much the same, just kind of smaller and probably a little bit more wild, wilder. Um, and I got saved, and I got my first Bible. <laughs> I brought it with me. For those that are about 30 years old, I'm not 30 yet, I'm 29, by the way. But if you're about 30 from the generation, I think, born in the 80s, you'll know what this is. <laughs> Bible gear. I mean, this was it got your color, zipper, keeps all your goodies in here, highlighters, <laughs> keep little papers in here. This is my first Bible. It was the NIV student Bible. Anybody have it? Wave on the front. It's a good one. It's <laughs> 13, I got this, had no idea. You know, obviously, if you're, you've never read the Bible, you're like, dude, this is a big book. I don't read books. Where do I start? Uh, this is complicated. Um, <clears throat> I don't like reading books. I really don't. Um, I mean, I do and I don't, but. Point is this. I, in seventh grade or eighth grade, went or was, I planned on going actually to a, uh, a missions trip to the Philippines. And 
sounded awesome. I've never been out of the country. Let's go. And they said, okay, well, the requirements or the training requirements of this is to read through the entire New Testament, uh, a chapter a day, journal on it, strive to memorize certain verses. We'll talk about it every week, and it's going to take nine months. And I was just like, I'm out. I'm out. I can't do that. That is complicated. I can't do it. My friends were going. Felt like the Lord was calling me, and so I did that. I read the entire New Testament chapter every day, journaled on it, and I actually still have my journal. It's really funny when you're in junior high what you do. I was showing my wife last night, and she started laughing. I'm like, don't laugh. And then she's like, but it's really cute too. And I was like, okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> um, <laughs> one specific thing is, there's a, I drew a sad face, a plus sign, and the cross, and I put an equal sign, happy face. <laughs> That's truth. <laughs> That's truth. It's for my mind, it's simple, just make it simple. But it's really cool in my seventh grade writing, just, and it got, and what's really neat, I opened it last night because I was like, oh, dude, this is awesome. The first, like Matthew, you know, uh, I wrote like one sentence per chapter. You know, like, just really like, and they're all not that deep. And okay, I was like, oh man. But then as I started getting deeper into the New Testament, look at God speak. I mean, that's a whole chapter. Some of them are half pages of God speaking to me. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit in me. It's not me. I was 13 and I didn't want to do it. Um, (laughs) Here's the effects that it's still having on me. Most all the scripture that the Holy Spirit reminds me of is all from that nine-month period when I read it. I mean, I mean, the foundation of my Christian walk, all the truths that I know, all that I know about God started with me just reading the word of God and, and looking at it with, I, I want to know this. I want to I memorize it. Because, um, you know, pastors then were, hey, you need to memorize it because we're going to be on the missions field and people are going to ask you about Jesus and you just need to know and we're going to throw you up on the stage and you're just going to have to preach the gospel. And so by necessity survival mode (laughs) try to as much as I can soak it in like a sponge and to this day much of the scripture that I use against the schemes of the enemy is from when I was 13 and I read the Bible it's powerful it's living and active sharper than any double edged sword for the destruction of strong fortresses and even to put some meat on it. You know, obviously you can expect uh, a pastor preaching on the sword of the spirit. Hmm, seems like a prime target for the enemy. Yeah, it was a really difficult week. It was a hard week. Specifically last night at 3 a.m., woke up and uh, bombarded by the lies of the enemy. You shouldn't be doing this. You're not adequate. You shouldn't be preaching the word of God tomorrow. Accusations. Praise be to God that I quickly said, no, I know where my adequacy is, and it's not from me, it's from Christ. <laughs> Amen. And God has, God has called and anointed me to do this, and so I reject that, and it was pretty quick and immediate. I just said, no, that's not truth, that's a lie, so I'm going to go back to bed now. 
it's not always that easy. It's not, you know, and sometimes we believe things we shouldn't and we get messed up and entangled with the devil when we shouldn't and fester, but all to the point of only because I knew what the word of God says was I able to say no to the devil. I love reading the Old Testament. I love reading Psalms and Proverbs because the way in which they speak about the word of God is so beautifully put and so true to what we, how we should look at it. You guys know this, but specifically the psalmist and and in the book of Proverbs and even the Old Testament, this is how they describe how we should treat the word of God. Sentences like this. We should treasure it in our heart. We should long for it. We should meditate on it day and night. We should cling to it, remember it, dwell on it. We should write it on the tablets of our heart. We should imprint it on our minds. And in Psalm 119, one of the verses that has always stood out to me, it says, my eyes fail with longing for your word. My eyes fail for longing for your word. And (laughs) church, when the devil attacks late at night, when you're all alone and your mind is spinning and your emotions are raging and when you're getting bombarded and just don't have it in you to open the word of God and you might not even know where it is, even if you did, you don't know where to open up, you don't know what to do. When that happens, you're only gonna be able to grab a hold of a sentence or two or a phrase. You're only gonna have it into you to remember only so much, but what is that phrase gonna be? It better be the word of God. When you're at wit's end, when you're being bombarded by the lies, accusations, doubt, and condemnation of the enemy, and when your world is spinning, what comes to mind? What do you recall? Because there's only so much that you're gunning in that moment. It better be the word of God. And church goes back to the section of scripture that we're in Specifically, verse 11 of Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Reality, Santa Barbara, let us dedicate our life to the study and memorization of the word of God that we may use it as a weapon against the wiles of the devil. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that we have your truth. And thank you, God, that we share in victory that we do to fight a, def- fight a defeated foe, that we are accepted and redeemed and we are forgiven, that our identity is in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a burning desire to know your word so that we would know who you are and what you've done and what it means for us. Help us, God, to not neglect the reading of it. Help us not neglect what the truth of the word of God says, but would you adequately prepare us for every good work, including fighting and standing firm against the enemy's schemes. Do that in a radically powerful way. We need you, Christ. 
we're aware that we cannot do this on our own and we cannot fight the enemy's schemes with our own intellect. It's just not good enough. We're too susceptible to believing those lies and walking in that condemnation. And so Holy Spirit, help us. Strengthen us to walk in victory against the enemy and against his schemes. For those of us in this room like myself, that it's just real hard to read and comprehend and memorize and know, pray that you just give us incredible, supernatural help with that. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.